The following is a Bible study taught at First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. At FBC, we endeavor to handle God's Word accurately, that believers may understand what God is doing through history and what He has planned for believers in the present. We hope you will find this study helpful in better knowing God. More audio and written studies can be found at graceteaching.net under resources. And now, our speaker. Some of the titles to the Father. Last week we looked at statements that's made in John 17 where Jesus refers to the Father as Holy Father. I was planning on spending two or three weeks on this, but we're moving along at the, at the pace of turtles here, so I thought we'd maybe pick it up a little bit and uh, just move on to the next title. I mean, there's more that we could say on any one of these subjects, but I don't want to get too bogged down here, so we're going to move on to the next title. It's also found in John 17. In John 17, verse, verse 11, Jesus calls him Holy Father. And he says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in or by your name, which you have given me. So we looked at this. There's a what we call a textual problem. The textus receptus that uses that the King James comes from changes this from keep them in your name to keep those you have given me. And that's one, one could speculate why they changed it. My assumption is they changed it because they didn't have a clue what it meant to keep them uh, in his name. <clears throat> but this emphasizes the point that we've been making several times through this is that God's name is not just a title that designates him as someone who different from George or Sam. <clears throat> when Jesus says, keep them in the name you have given me, Obviously, he's not referring to the name Jesus. Jesus is the name the Father gave him back in Matthew and Luke. Uh, we're told that the, he was, uh, uh, was instructed, Mary, Mary was instructed to call his name Jesus. He's instructed by an angel, but the Father was the one who, who gave this command to call his name Jesus. We're not called Jesus. And so uh, I'm, I'm guessing that editors of, of some of these Greek manuscripts way back when at some point in the in the distant past looked at that and what in the world does that mean and one of the the problems that that translators sometimes have is they get to a passage and they're trying to translate it but they don't understand what they're translating and so they change words sometimes to make it understandable to them but just because they don't understand it doesn't <laughs> give right to mistranslate something. Uh, so the King James is, is really the only text that says this, but some other English translations that use other Greek text still borrow from the, the King James translation. Even though their Greek text doesn't have this, some other English translations uh, lean upon the King James and change their, their translation uh, to say, keep those you have given me. And it doesn't say that in this verse. He says that like something three or four times in this chapter, but he doesn't say that in this verse. He says, keep them in your name, in the name you have given me. Not your name, but keep them in the name that you have given me. And so we should understand this to be a reference to the fact that Jesus is asking the Father to keep the ones that have been given to him in his character. That's what a name represents. It represents, uh, usually in scripture, represents character. <clears throat> That's why we have so many different titles for Jesus, so many for the Son of God. We have so many titles for the Father. We have so many titles for the Holy Spirit. Because these titles aren't just designations that point them out as being someone different. They're titles that represent aspects of uh, God's character. So the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. That's one of his titles. That should be easy for us to understand. It's referring to the fact he has a character of one who provides comfort. So here we have the title to the Father. He's called Holy Father. That's because as God, he has a certain character. And he is separate in his character to himself. In other words, he doesn't move in any realm outside of that character that he has. Uh, so, because he's a loving God, he cannot be unloving. Because he is righteous, he cannot be unrighteous. Because 
uh, he has these things revealed about him that are we call them attributes they're things that make him who and what he is he can't move outside this and we're told that twice in scripture uh, by the verses that say he cannot deny himself in other words he can't say no to who he is he can't uh, look at his character and operate outside of the realm of his character. We say that God can do anything. It's not true. God cannot do anything. He cannot deny himself. And that's stated expressly in Scripture twice. He cannot, it's impossible for him to deny himself. He can do anything he determines to do. That's a true statement. Uh, and we can't do that. Uh, we, <coughs> we can uh, determine to go to Mars well, Elon Musk may make it to Mars, but you and I probably aren't. Because we don't have the capacity to do that. And I have a right at the moment as I watch Elon Musk Star, uh, Starlink, I have doubts as to whether he's going to make it either because his rockets keep blowing up. But that, that aside, we have the technology to do things, but we don't have the capacity to do anything we just decide we're going to do. Uh, we could say we're going to... Uh, <coughs> Uh, fly up to that mountain up there, sprout wings and fly, but we don't have the capacity to do that. God can do anything he determines to do, but he doesn't determine to do anything outside the realm of his character. And so uh, we have this word Holy Father, and he's called Holy Father because he always operates within the realm of his established character. He can't operate outside that realm. And in this prayer that Jesus makes to the Father, he's asking things for those that the Father is going to give him in light of the fact that very soon Jesus is not going to be present with him any longer. Very shortly after he closes this communication with the Father, he's going to go to the cross and be crucified. <clears throat> so I told the disciples, I'm leaving you, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to uh, be with you into the age. He's going to be one who's not going to leave you. I'm leaving you. The Holy Spirit's not going to. And so, <clears throat> uh, and, the, and Jesus is... is asking the Father certain things on behalf of the saints, the individuals that the Father has given to him. And even though Jesus is going to the cross imminently, he's not asking a single thing for himself. He's going to face an incredibly uh, painful death uh, physically. He's going to be experiencing spiritual death uh, that he never experienced before. He's going to be separated from the Father. Uh, things that are inconceivable. He's going to take upon himself the sins of the world. We cannot consist, uh, even can imagine. That's what we, can. we can't imagine the agony that would be involved in that. We can accept that it is true because he says that's what he did, but we can't conceive. That was the word I was trying to come up with. We can't conceive of uh, the type of agony that, that Christ was about to face. And in light of that, he is praying for this the disciples and those who would believe on their because of their testimony afterwards which includes us and he doesn't ask for a single thing for himself uh, that demonstrates the character of somebody who genuinely is a loving with God's kind of a love uh, God's kind of love looks at benefits for the recipient of that love regardless of the consequences to self and Jesus is going to use another title now in verse 25 that is also a reflection of this the same character. <clears throat> in verse 25, he says, O righteous Father. He uses the term righteous here, even though it's an adjective that describes him. Uh, he uses it as a title. He says, Righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, literally it has not known you, I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. <clears throat> He uses a series of what we call aorist tenses, which point to a, a just a, an action that's a, a point in time. He says, I have, I have known you, and these have known that I have sent you. <clears throat> but he calls him Righteous Father. And this title <clears throat> is in the context of requesting that God the Father provide unity for those who are going to believe uh, basically uh, church saints, New Testament saints. And he starts the context of this part of his, his prayer, his request, back in verse 20. <clears throat> he says, I do not ask for these only, referring to these disciples that are present with him, the, uh, the 11, because <clears throat> Judas is not present anymore with them. <clears throat> he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, their testimony. And now he uses a series of 
subjunctives, and a subjunctive in the Greek is a, uh, is a conditional clause. It means if this happens, then this happens. It, it's, it's a condition which requires something to happen in order for this condition to be fulfilled. And he lists nine conditions in, within this request of the Father. And it's uh, translated in our English, we can see by the fact that he uses the term might or may, that this may happen. He's asking that you may do this, that you may do this, that you might do this. These are all subjunctives. In other words, I'm asking that this might happen. Well, what would cause it to happen? Well, something else has to happen in order for this request to be fulfilled. So it's a conditional clause. And he uses nine of them in this prayer. And we'll I'll emphasize these as we read through this from verse uh, 20 through 26. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become uh, complete, brought to maturity in one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory, that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, <coughs> has not known you, I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. <coughs> I made known to them your name, or your character, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. <clears throat> A lot of conditions here. <clears throat> How many of these conditions relate to requirements that we have to fulfill in order for this to become a reality? What do we have to do in order to... to uh, experience this unity that Jesus is praying for. What do we have to do to measure up <clears throat> to where we are qualified to be recipients of these things that Jesus asks? Let's make a list of them. <clears throat> we have not nine require nine conditional clauses, nine things that require something to be fulfilled. Which one of these require activity on our part? None of them. Every single one of these things that Jesus is requesting is conditioned upon something, but it's not conditioned upon anything that we do. And so, when he says in verse 21, they may all be one, I and you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe, <clears throat> what is the condition, what are the conditions that have to be fulfilled in order for these conditions to to be fulfilled. What has to be accomplished before the Father will grant these petitions? We have to be put into Christ yeah. okay. and relate to him in our position. And what has to be done for us to be put into Christ? We have to believe. We, we have believe to believe. What do we have to believe? The gospel. The gospel. What is the gospel? Christ. That Jesus did something. Christ. That Christ died first and foremost in order the first requirement that has to be met for every single one of these requirements Christ has to die Jesus is asking the father nine things each one of which requires his own personal death that's pretty remarkable to me father let me die so these people can get this father let me die so they can get this father let me die so they can get this and this and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. Let me die so they can get these nine things. All I can think of is, well, this is Thanksgiving weekend. Come, week coming up here. We, we look at things to be thankful for. Um, wow. <laughs> There's nine things right there. Most of these things uh, revolve around unity. <clears throat> and the title that Jesus uses to address the Father in light of these requests, Father, let me die so they can get this, are things, I, I mean, it's a title that appeals not to God's graciousness. He's not saying, Father, be gracious. He's not saying, gracious Father, let me die so they can have this. Righteousness is a judicial 
um, is a word that revolves around a judicial decision. <clears throat> when you stand before the judge, <clears throat> uh, you hope that the judge will declare you righteous because if you're guilty, you go to jail, you go directly to jail, you don't pass go, you don't collect $200. <clears throat> and so you hope the judge will declare you righteous. Now, he can de declare, declare you righteous on a couple of different uh, bases. He can say you're righteous because you're not guilty of doing anything. He can say you're righteous just because I don't want to deal with having to hand out the penalty. Or the, you know, there's other reasons the jails are too full and it's not worth my time or, or the effort or the money the state's going to cost to send you to jail. Or you can say you're not guilty because uh, somebody else paid your fine. Your, your father came down and uh, he paid your $50 traffic fine and so you don't have to pay the penalty yourself. Somebody else paid the price for you. There's lots of different reasons that a judge can declare us uh, not guilty. doesn't mean we're innocent. It just means we've been declared not guilty. <clears throat> Jesus is making an appeal to righteous father. He's not saying, Father, ignore their guilt. He's not saying, gracious father, ignore the fact that they are creatures that are worthy of death and just give them these things anyway. Allow them, because I love them so, this is the way God is presented by most, and viewed by most Christians, it seems like today, is Father, ignore the fact that they are unrighteous ones and just love them anyway. And that's how Christians present God to the world. God just loves you so much, he doesn't care what you are. He just accepts you anyway. And, and you just accept that, and, and he's just going to love you to death. Because he loves you in spite of all the, the bad things you have done and all the bad things that you have going on inside. He just loves you. That's not true. God does love us, but he loves us on account of Christ. He loves us because of what Christ did. Christ paid a price for us. And these nine things are things that God the Father does as a righteous God because he has declared us righteous because somebody else paid the price. And the one who paid the price was the one who's paying, praying this prayer here. He says, Father, place their guilt upon me so that you righteously, not by denying your righteousness, not by ignoring their guilt, as a righteous God, you can't ignore their guilt. The price has to be paid. So he, he's using a title that acknowledges the judicial act of God where he declares righteous somebody who is guilty. Jesus is not ignorant who is going to be paying the price for, for their crimes. He knows that he's the one that's going to do it. And he's asking nine things on behalf of the Father for us. Yes. So these nine things, um, true that... Jesus paid the price and that he died, but these could not apply to us unless he rose again. So Correct. So Yeah, so yeah, the, the death is just the very first first, first part of right. it. So first because, condition. There. Because he rose again, we don't believe in a dead savior, but because he rose again, yeah. we are placed in Christ and then we have these benefits. Yeah, there's there's other in other words, there are other conditions that apply here. Yes. He has to rise again. That's not the only two. Those aren't the only two conditions. He had to die. He had to rise again. Those are two of the conditions. But there's some other conditions as well. In order for us to be placed in Christ, what other conditions have to be met? We have to believe. We have to believe. But who gives us the faith to believe? God does. Ephesians. The Holy Spirit has to do something. The Holy Spirit places us into Christ. So here we have another person of the Godhead. When Jesus is praying this, he doesn't go into the details. But when he asks the Father that we might be one in answering that prayer, and the Father has answered that prayer, then he puts the Holy Spirit to work. And the Holy Spirit does some things. And so... <clears throat> These nine subjunctives that he used here, these nine conditions that have to be met, involve a whole lot of things, all of which involve works of God. It, might, it starts off with the work of Christ, but it involves the Holy Spirit, and it involves the Father himself, because the Father set this all in motion to begin with. We call it the decree, but the Father's plan. Uh, the Father was the one who started the ball rolling, you could say. He's the one who authored the decree. And all three persons of the Godhead met in eternity past. It's called the Council of God. <clears throat> and they made these determinations that this is what would happen. So we know that Jesus is asking in accordance with God's desirous will because he's asking in accordance with what the divine council, all three persons of the Godhead, agreed to before they ever created anything, before they ever created anyone, they all met and determined this, and now Jesus says, now is the right time. Now, Father, uh, now is the time when these conditions need to be met. I need to die 
I need to rise again. <coughs> Holy Spirit needs, but, but this is the time uh, that I'm asking that you set this in motion because this is the time that we agreed to in the council in eternity past. So I know it's your desire as well. And everything that Jesus asked for, he received because he never asked outside the realm of God's will because he was God himself. And as God, Jesus can't deny who he is either. He is man, but he's also God. And so he can't deny his divine character, even though he is also man. He didn't have a sin nature, so he wasn't encumbered with that. <clears throat> so the, this prayer, the, these few verses, just has a whole lot in them. Has almost all of our New Testament truth is tied up in these few conditional clauses that Jesus makes here when he asks, Righteous Father, not asking you to deny, nothing, Gracious Father, don't ignore the, the sin of these individuals. As Righteous Father, judicially do an act of righteousness to make this happen. The act of righteousness the Father had to do to make this happen is he had to have the son put to death because somebody, <coughs> you, ever, you ever seen the movie National Treasure? Remember when Ben steals the Declaration of Independence because there's this uh, map written in invisible ink on the back of it that t gives clues as to where this great uh, treasure is going to be found and uh, nobody believes it's there and he knows somebody's going to steal it and probably destroy it in the process so he steals it so he can uh, preserve the Declaration of Independence and find the treasure and the FBI gets involved and at the, at the end he and the FBI agent are sitting there and, and uh, Ben says, this, the one who stole the declaration, I really don't want to go to prison. And what the FBI agent say? Somebody's got to go to jail. <laughs> this, was a, this was a major crime. Somebody's got to pay for this crime. Well, he says, well, I think I can help you with that because these bad guys that were involved along the line, uh, they get the book thrown at them. So Ben doesn't have to pay the price for his crime. Somebody's got to pay for it, though. Well, fortunately for Ben, uh, there's another bad guy involved, and after all, Ben didn't really mean any harm, even though you know it involved breaking a whole bunch of different felonies. Uh, he had good intentions, and so therefore he's not guilty. <clears throat> That's not quite the same idea as we have here, but but similar. The fact that Jesus is saying, "Righteous Father," by not ignoring your judicial requirement as a righteous God. Make these individuals recipients of, the, he's asking for gracious acts, but he's basing it upon righteous decisions that the Father is going to make. And so because it's based upon a righteous decision, somebody has to pay the crime. He's not basing it, he's not saying, oh gracious Father. He's not saying, oh merciful, merciful Father. So he's not basing these requests on leniency of the Father. He's basing it knowing that, Father, you have righteous requirements. And so based on the fact that you have requirements that have to be met because you are a righteous Father, make these things come to be based upon your righteousness. And so the Father makes righteous decisions to answer each one of these nine, nine things. <clears throat> now, some of these conditions are not going to be met. But it's not because God didn't make the provision. <clears throat> uh, we have that said a couple of times here, and he says in... <clears throat> in verse um, oh, I'm on the wrong page here uh, the end of verse 21 he says, well, or just read verse 21 they may all be one as you Father are in me and I in you, they may be in us, so that the world may believe, now that's a condition that still is a possibility of being fulfilled, but that's only going to be partially fulfilled, because we, I think understand, the whole world is not going to believe, uh but it's not because the righteous requirements of the Father were not met. Jesus Christ made the right, uh, paid the righteous requirements so that all the world could believe. And also it says, whosoever will may come, so the invitation is there it's, it's still there, yeah. But we know that this condition isn't going to be met in entirety because the entire world is not going to believe. But the offer was made for all, and the conditions that made providence for this have been met. The price that Jesus paid was sufficient to pay for, for the sin of all the, all these people. So all all the world, if they chose to, if they did believe, 
the righteous requirements for their sin has been met in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The payment was was paid. So the fact that the world doesn't believe isn't because the righteous father uh, said, well, the payment wasn't quite sufficient. I would have let the whole world believe, but you, the, you didn't pay enough. You needed to give more. Jesus gave enough. His payment was sufficient. Uh, so... <clears throat> That is, is partly conditioned upon the fact that, that some some world won't believe. And the only reason they do believe is because it tells us three times in the New Testament that God is the one who gives them faith to believe. And so we have this statement made several times through through this, <coughs> this uh, upper room prayer. He says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people who, what? You gave me out of the world. Yours they were. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. <clears throat> so we have this statement made three times in the supper room prayer. Those you have given me out of the world. <clears throat> this is <clears throat> just a, a very, very plain statement. It should be plain. It's plain to me anyway. Of, of the doctrine of election. The <clears throat> fact that God the Father... <clears throat> uh, the, the, like Leslie like, says, the invitation is given to all. But if we were all left to our own devices, none would believe. And God chose some anyway. The price was sufficient for all, but none would believe. And so God chose us anyway. And this is why, uh, why we really should be appreciative and, and appreciate who God is, the Father is, because the doctrine of election doesn't demonstrate hatred. It demonstrates the fact that we we didn't deserve any of it and he chose us anyway and made us recipients of his grace through Christ <clears throat> none of us are deserving of it <clears throat> he just chose some anyway even though all all would refuse him he chose anyway and the vast majority deserved was for everybody to go to the lake of yeah each one of us deserves that <clears throat> um, something we, we talked a little bit about in our in our Thursday night uh, Bible study in Mattawa that um, if we are faced with true righteousness, we look at the state that our world is in, uh, every generation can say this, but as we look back through history, it just seems the world is getting worse and worse. There, there have been things that have happened in the world that have been <clears throat> horrible. We look at the Holocaust during the Second World War, and there's been <clears throat> places throughout history that have experienced horrible uh, things, but they haven't generally been worldwide, but what we see going, the entire world is just devolving into chaos. Uh, what, what I see when I look at, at the world, I see uh, kind of a reflection of what was stated clear back in Genesis before the flood when he says, the world was filled with violence. Uh, we see that more and more today. Uh, it used to be that there was no such thing as a mass shooting, mass school shooting. And then we had Columbine. And then it happened again and again and it happened more and more frequently and now there's hardly a day goes by there's not a week goes by there's not a single week goes by where we don't have a mass shooting in this country there most of them aren't reported because they're not as grand and glorious some some times a uh, mass shooting doesn't resolve any deaths it involves a couple of injuries and then the bad guy is taken down and we don't even hear about them <clears throat> But I saw a report about the number of mass shootings, and I saw a graph, and the graph was like this. As time goes by, they have just escalated. And they're not only happening in this country, but now they're happening in other areas as well. And you just go, man, what's going on? The world is filled with violence. Now, I wish, Ronnie and I watch movies for our entertainment. <clears throat> One of the things we like to watch is documentaries things that document <clears throat> activities that really happened, historical things. <clears throat> One thing that I wish I could see <clears throat> that's not possible, I wish there was a documentary that I that would show us what the world looked like when God said the world was filled with violence before the flood so that I could compare it to what's happening today so I could know, is this really as bad as it was back then? Is it worse? Is it not near as bad? I don't have a clue. <clears throat> but what I can see in my limited per period of time on earth, and it is limited, and I can look through the eyes of history a little bit, even though I have to understand that when we, when we read history, a lot of times it's painted with rose-colored glasses that are perverted by the people that write history that don't want to have 
the full impact of how bad things really were. <clears throat> you know, history of Nazi Germany written by a Nazi probably isn't going to reflect the same <clears throat> things that one ri written by a Jewish author might write, <clears throat> if you understand what I'm saying. <clears throat> but uh, point is, I wish I could compare the two. I don't know what the difference is. I don't know if things are as bad as they were. But. <clears throat> um, if you look at the mass killings that were prior to like there were lots of them, but they were, and they were all done with guns, knives, all sorts of different things. And, um, but uh, it was not until the 1980s, they used to lock up people that were mentally ill, and now they don't do that. And, so it's a combination of factors. I don't even know that um, I would say it's worse. There's thing is, man has always been of course wicked, and uh, but there's certain other factors that have allowed it to come in, and you know the the way our media goes around sure brings it, it throws it in it, our face, and desensitizes it's us. I mean, you know, it kind of encourages other people to want to get that notoriety. Yeah, it sensationalizes so it. So yeah. whether it is mankind is any worse, I don't know. He's always been worse. <clears throat> he's always been worse, but he's not, he's not always been as unrestrained. Right. And so man's condition, I'm, I'm not saying man's condition is worsening, but the manifestation is worse, it seems to be worsening as I see things just in, in the short period I've been on earth. <clears throat> because mankind, sin nature, ha mankind has the, the capacity to res restrain his sin nature to a degree. And that restraint is, it, man, man is showing less and less restraint as time goes by. <clears throat> and there's other elements involved here, but, but in, you, you get the idea. <clears throat> Jesus is appealing to the righteousness of God to allow these conditioned things, the things that are, are conditioned upon something, to come to pass. <clears throat> and specifically, he's asking for our unity. <clears throat> and it revolves around his righteousness. Now, <clears throat> there's <clears throat> aspects of this that um, <clears throat> I'm just gonna gonna throw one. We're gonna look at one aspect of this. <clears throat> um, we have a statement in, oh, is it 2 Timothy, I think. Yeah, 2 Timothy chapter 2, there's a statement. Something for us to think about here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. And this is in light of him praying for our unity. We have it, I think we've all, it's been unpressed upon all of us that in Christ, um, how many how many degrees of of um, how should I, I should, should have should have thought of this beforehand? It just popped in my head. But how many degrees of favor I should say are there within the body of Christ? I mean, we've got individuals who do a lot of good works and pretty much dedicate their whole life to God to God's service, and we have Christians who uh, don't really go to church at all and pretty much are, are just enmeshed in the world and we have all different degrees in between of complete from complete apathy to the things of God to uh, sold out 100% to serving God. So within God's reward system, within his plan, how many different degrees does he set for believers in that? So how many tiers of favor, uh, levels of favor does he establish uh, for his believers? Well, just, we're all legal. Oh, just one tier? Well, how can that be? That's not fair. It's, it's fair because Christ, the, the conditions that Jesus asked for were met in Christ. So we have this, this uh, concept here in 2 Timothy. I'm just going to throw something out to think about here. Chapter 4, verse 8. Another thing along with what you said about the tears, because it's based on grace, there's no work that anybody could do to... to Get a Correct. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter four, verse eight. <clears throat> Paul says, "Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge." <clears throat> so here, we're, Jesus Christ is declared to be the righteous one, <clears throat> which takes on this title. The righteous Judge will reward to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who love His appearing. <clears throat> this can be viewed a couple of different ways, and generally. We have been taught to accept the idea that this 
is a reward that's given to certain Christians, not to all Christians. It's only to those who are loving his appearing. And we know that if Christians is caught up in sin, he's not loving Jesus' appearing. And so this crown is only given to a select uh, group of Christians. <clears throat> that's a possibility because it's the, the reward that is given here is based on our works. It's conditioned upon our works. Uh, at least that's how it's been presented to us. Our righteous, the righteous things we do, we have to be loving. That's a requirement that I have to meet. I have to be loving Jesus' return. <clears throat> do all Christians love Christ's appearing? No. Not all Christians are living a life that reflects the loving of his appearing, so we could draw the conclusion this crown is not provided to everybody. <clears throat> but I'm going to throw out another possibility here. Just to think about, the tense that's used here, those who are loving his appearing, it's actually a participle, not a verb, and it's a, it's a perfect tense. Now, a perfect tense looks to the past with continual <coughs> results into the present. And so, <coughs> Paul says <coughs> that uh, he points out to his past, he says, um, laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day why because he knows that he has been loving Christ's return he's been looking forward to that and loving it through his life and he says not only to me but all those who are also loving his return and he uses the perfect tense here so the perfect tense looks to the past with ongoing results into the future and so Paul says in the past, my life has been a reflective of one who has been loving his return, and I'm still loving his return, so I know beyond a shadow of a doubt there is laid up for me this crown of righteousness. And isn't that the same tense that's used in Ephesians 2 for being saved? I believe saved so. In the present with the results that keep on yes, being yes, saved. Yes, yes, <clears throat> yes. What point in time does the perfect tense look back to? Uh, it doesn't specify. <clears throat> the time reference that's given here is the judgment seat of Christ. <clears throat> so, let me... so we have the Bema seat. We have our presentation to the Father. Before this, we have the rapture. Before this, we have our life. And this life can be divided into past tense and uh, present and future so we have this crown is being looked at from this being the time frame standard that the Lord may give at the Bema seat the, the Lord will give this crown to those who have loved his appearing so he says at, at a point in time in the past they have loved your appearing at the, with the result, at this time, they will receive a crown of righteousness. What point in time does Paul look back to in his life? Well, he looks back to his present and past life. From this point, Paul's looking back at this point. But the present tense doesn't define what point in time this looks back to. Paul is looking back to this time in his life, and he says, from, from the past time of my life, I have been demonstrating love for his appearing, so I know this is laid up for me because this has been occurring in the past in my life with, through into the present and will continue uh, as long as I'm breathing air. But the present tense doesn't require that it go back to this point in time. The present, or excuse me, the perfect tense only go, looks backwards in time to a point in time. It doesn't specify what point in time. The only standard we have is this right here at the judgment seat of Christ he will give a crown of, of life crown of righteousness excuse me to those who have at a point in time in the past loved his appearing that and that love has continued into the present <clears throat> now with that in mind <clears throat> that can change our perception of who qualifies for this crown of righteousness it changes it completely <clears throat> because Some Christians never love Christ's appearing at all in their pet, from the time they're saved. So they don't understand. They never are taught really how to love God. They, they, 
you, you tell an average Christian today about the rapture. The rapture is an unpopular doctrine in Christianity. Most Christians don't believe in the rapture. They can't be loving his appearing if they don't even believe he's going to appear. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much a, uh, a statement of fact. But the perfect tense doesn't have to go back to this point. There's, this is a point in time that happens also at the rapture. What happens to all believers at the rapture? We're all glorified. I guarantee you, at this point in time, all Christians are going to be very grateful that the Lord has appeared and they're going to be loving Him in their glorified state. And from this point, this looks back in time and it can look back in time to this point in time which would qualify every believer for a crown of righteousness because every believer at this point in time is loving his appearing. And when it comes time to the Bema Seat, we can look back to the past and say, I have been loving his return in the past and that continues on in the present and will continue on into the future as I'm presented to the Father. And so we assume that when he says that all those who have loved his appearing, it's looking back to this per this time in our life, but from the Bema Seat, it, it's the, the past tense does not limit us to our present our present life. The past tense from the Bema Seat point, uh, point of reference can't just go back as far as the rapture and still be in harmony with keeping with this verse. You see what I'm saying? Y'all understand what I'm saying? And does other scripture bear out the possibility of this interpretation? I would say yes. Look at um, 1 John chapter 5. The reason most Christians don't love the, the doctrine of the rapture is because they're worldly. They're, they're tied to the world and they're, they're so entrenched in the world system they just don't want to give up the things of the world. Um, and 1 John chapter 5 kind of points something out here. He says, verse 4, everyone who has been born from God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so 1 John says that in spite of the fact that some Christians are presently loving the world, he says that faith in Christ makes us all overcomers. We have all overcome the world. Even if you happen to be loving the world system at this point, from God's perspective, he actually sees you as having already overcome the world because of faith. And it's based on what Christ prayed in the upper room. He prayed for unity. He says, I don't want some, there to be different echelons, different levels, levels of favoritism in the body of Christ. I want them to be all unified into one. And our faith makes that possible because of what Christ did, not because of what we did. Look at um, Romans chapter 3, 24. What I'm saying is, uh, Christ, now we're talking about Christ now, we've been talking about righteous Father, but the righteousness of Christ is identical to the righteousness of the Father, and Jesus Christ, the righteous judge, is going to give a crown of righteousness based upon what Christ, is, what Christ did. And he says in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, he says, and, well, verse, 20, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift uh, through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. What does justified mean? Declared righteous. We've all been declared righteous. Well, we've all been declared righteous, but you're not all going to get a crown of righteousness. Even though God has declared you righteous, you don't get a crown of, of righteousness because you haven't done enough. Well, the, the, the righteousness that we have is because of what Christ did, not what we did. Uh, look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Now, every time we see this word justified, it means to be declared righteous. We're declared righteous on the, on the basis of what Christ did, not on the basis of what we do. Therefore, verse 1, verse, chapter 5, verse 1, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so again, we've been declared righteous, <clears throat> righteous by faith. <clears throat> uh, 
second second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five verse two. Second <clears throat> Corinthians five verse two <clears throat> says, "For in no, oh, that's not right." First so Corinthians. First uh, Corinthians five two. Well, my eyes crossed when I was looking at my concordance, and I looked wrong apostle page five two. No, I got the wrong reference here, so disregard that one. <clears throat> Go to Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. <clears throat> uh, what I was looking for, verse that says, We have been made the righteousness of God in Him. We have been constantly... 521. 521. Okay, I just missed one of my digits here. Thank you. 1 Corinthians 521? 2 Corinthians 521. Okay. Yeah, I should have known that because I... I can quote the verse, but the reference was was miss, missing from my brain. Second Corinthians five twenty one. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Second <clears throat> Corinthians five twenty one says, uh, "For our sake he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that in him we might be made the righteousness of God." <clears throat> so we have this work, this idea to be made righteous. We have not only been declared righteous, but we have been constituted. We've been made. In other words, God took the hammer and saw and, and <coughs> nails and made us something that we weren't before. He constructed us. He made us righteousness. He made us his quality of righteousness. But he did it in him. And so when Jesus was praying in the upper room, Father, righteous Father, constitute them as one thing. He's asking God to make this group, build these people into a unity, make them, constitute them righteous. And the Father said, okay, I'll do that, but I'll do that in your person. And so uh, he made us something that we weren't of our own self. Uh, Revelation chapter 4. And it's the one new man, not you individually. Yes, yes. Yep. <clears throat> Revelation 4, <clears throat> verse 10. says the 24 elders who do the 24 elders represent the church the, church. <clears throat> the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and some of them cast their crowns before the throne <laughs> saying worthy O you lord god to receive glory and honor for you created all things and by your will they are and were created so some of these 24 elders have crowns correct and and so only those that have Crowns cast them at the at the Father's feet. No, they all have crowns. Every single one of them, the, the twenty-four elders are represented of the church, and every single one of them is seen as having a crown. I think that's kind of interesting. <clears throat> uh, look at um, Revelation nineteen. Verse eight. <clears throat> Let's go back to uh, verse 7. It says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Who is the bride? Us in the future. It was granted to her. That word granted, it, it was given to her. Uh, it was a gift. It was given to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, because the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. It's interesting to me that every single place where we are, uh, the church, the church's uh, righteousness is referred to, it, it's something that we all have together as a unity. And it just, it seems out of harmony to me with God's grace that this idea of crown of righteousness be only given to a few, even though it's, it's reference to those who are loving his, retu his return, the Christ's return, which is conditioned upon something that we, that we do. We have to be loving. Uh, the fact that Jesus prayed in the upper room that we would all be one unity, and every passage that deals with the righteousness of the saints views us all collectively as sharing in that same righteousness, be based on what Christ has done, not based upon what we do, we all have the same righteousness, but only some are going to get a crown of righteousness. Um, this perfect tense just looks to the past, but it doesn't specify how far past it goes back to. 
And I guarantee at this point, from, from the perspective of the judgment seat of Christ, the rapture is a past event, and every single believer at the rapture is going to be loving Christ to return, regardless of what they thought during their life. Paul could say it during his life. And because of grace, you know, the average Christian might look at that and go, well, that, <clears throat> what, what motivation is it for us to be uh, loving his return at all? And if we're all going to get rewarded, let's just eat, drink, and be merry today because tomorrow, uh, let tomorrow worry about itself. Well, the whole purpose of grace is God wants us to serve him because we love him, not because uh, we're constrained to. And if you understand that God is going to give rewards, Paul, for Paul, that was motivation for him to be serving during this present life. He didn't have to. Um, he says, uh, I, don't, I don't have to. He says, there's a reward laid up for me if I do what I'm supposed to. <laughs> but if not, well, I, I may get some, some spanking, but I'm not being forced to do the things I do. I'm doing it because, because of love. He said that, told that to the Corinthians. He was serving as a steward <laughs> because... Uh, it was a, a, a privileged responsibility that God had given him, and he was serving the Father, serving God out of love. That's what grace is supposed to motivate us to do. If we're serving because we have to, uh, there's there's no reward for us. But this this would be grace. This is a demonstration of grace at the judgment seat of Christ, all getting a, a crown because of what. Uh, because of what Christ did. I see what you're saying, and I think it seems consistent with the rest of Scripture. But First Peter five says there's a uh, a crown for um, shep under shepherds, mm -hmm. and so that would be a specific crown just for certain people in the body of Christ. So. Except that in Hebrew, I don't have the verse on my head. I have to come back next week with that, but. Um, he, he tells us to all be overlooking the flock of God. So, so we all take a, we all are supposed to be sharing in the under-shepherd role to a degree where we're all looking out for others' benefit. And so there's actually room to think that that under-shepherd crown actually is available to all believers too because as we're all looking out for others' benefits, that, that's a type of a shepherding role. And so, um, and that, that term is used, of, of shepherding is used of all believers in, in the book of Hebrews. And so, uh, again, that's not what's been taught to us, but uh, that's what I personally hold to, is that that shepherding crown is something that's actually available to all of us, too, because we all are to be looking out after the welfare of others, which is a shepherding-type role, even though we may not have the, the, the gift of pastor or we don't all have the office of bishop, of a shepherd. <clears throat> we can all take a shepherding role as we're looking out for the welfare of other believers around us. I'd like to. Let me know that. I will. It's, it's a verb in Hebrews I'll, I'll have it for you next week. <clears throat> I don't have my, my Greek concordance with me, um, so I will have it next week. Any other comments? Well, we're, we're past due here. I've gone over. I apologize. Let's close. <clears throat> Father, as we look <clears throat> to your word, whether or not this is true that we all receive this crown of righteousness, help us to be ones who are motivated by the, uh, the love that you have for us, by the love that Christ had for us, by giving himself for us, that we might be genuinely using this opportunity right now in our lives be demonstrating a love for his return <clears throat> so that um, we can be bringing you glory regardless of what's in it for